Have you ever just wanted to vanish? You know, check out. Disappear. Not exist anymore. No way to feel. No way to hurt. Just let go and cease to exist. Have you ever wanted to kill yourself? Well, if I just caught your attention right there, then this podcast is speaking directly to you. And you know what? You better listen. Hello, everybody. I'm Stephen Diamond from the hit Netflix TV series, Tiger King 2, The Doc Antle Story. And I want to thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. And I want to tell you right up front that I use the term tiger in this broadcast as a metaphor for describing all of those things deep down inside of us that really lurk in our shadows and stalk us like prey and eventually sneak up on us and take over our emotions and our mental well-being. And that is why I called this podcast What the Tigers Taught Me. Because I've learned so much in my 25 years of dealing with stress, anxiety, depression, and all kinds of different disorders like that. And I want to tell you also right up front, this broadcast today is going to be really, really heavy. It's on a real serious topic. And so I'm going to give you a trigger warning right now. If you're listening to this broadcast, please understand that today we're going to be discussing a really serious topic. You know, I had just retired from touring. It was 2007 and I was experiencing one of the worst moments of my life. You see, I had spent the better part of 28 years traveling and touring all over the world, performing thousands of shows before millions of people, until one day, it all came crashing to a halt. My magic career was over. I had been diagnosed with cancer, and I would be rushed into emergency surgery to remove a tumor in my throat. And it all happened so very fast. In fact, most of it was a blur. I remember waking up in the ICU and staring at those long white fluorescent lighting tubes that were attached to the ceiling above me. That's really all I could see. And I remember wondering where I was and how I got there. I was so disoriented. I couldn't remember anything at all. And as I laid there, I, I could feel the, the effects of the anesthesia to still kind of controlling my thoughts and my feelings. And it was so disorienting and I was so confused. And I thought at first that I had been in some sort of a car wreck until a nurse came in and told me exactly what had happened. And it was shocking to me. In that moment, I realized that my life would never again be the same. Life as I knew it was over. I was alone and no one even knew that I was there or that I had had this operation. For some reason, I was incredibly embarrassed, and I didn't want anyone to know. Strange as that sounds, 
It's how I was feeling at that moment in time. I decided that I could handle this myself and that no one would ever need to know. I mean, I thought that I was a tough guy. I literally grew up with real tigers, and so I was going to get through this. I was going to try and get through this on my own. (laughs) I couldn't have been more ignorant. You don't handle cancer alone, but I didn't know that yet. Over the next few weeks, I would begin to grow more and more increasingly depressed, angry, scared, and alone. So very alone. Alone in my apartment in Las Vegas, and my face was a plastic surgery nightmare just waiting for a surgeon to fix it. Every time I looked in the mirror, all I saw was this horribly disfigured face looking right back at me. A face I didn't recognize. Now, if you want to see the gross pictures to understand what it looked like and what I was going through, I'll post them on my Instagram and link to this podcast. But be forewarned, they are extremely graphic and very disturbing to see. So keep that in mind before you go check them out. Once the doctors got inside, they realized that the cancer had spread and they would require several other surgeries on my nose and face to dig out all of the cancer and then rebuild my nose and face almost from scratch. It was a grueling process that I would have to endure over many weeks and that only served to dig me deeper and deeper into a depression the likes of which I had never experienced before. Soon, I found myself alone in my apartment, suffering alone due to my own toxic masculinity and ignorance and thinking that it was something that I could hide and survive all by myself. Now, I know the logic doesn't make sense. I can't understand today why I felt this way back then. It's just how it all played out for me, and maybe some of you will relate to this. I was wrong, and I didn't even know it. I needed so much help. I needed a lot of help. But I was struggling with this overwhelming embarrassment, this sense of shame, and and I couldn't understand where it was coming from. I, I guess I was afraid that people would judge me, and that fact was only reinforced every time I looked at myself in the mirror. I could feel myself sinking deeper and deeper into depression. I wasn't working. In fact, I hadn't worked in months. And at this point, my finances were beginning to dwindle and crumble to the point where I was soon going to be in some serious financial trouble. In the blink of an eye, that's exactly where I found myself. I was alone in my luxury Las Vegas apartment inside of a resort-type gated community living the high life that I now couldn't afford, suffering from cancer with a face that terrified small children, covered in stitches and bandages all over my head with bloody spots that I couldn't stop from leaking. I was a horrible mess, 
I still had another operation with a plastic surgeon to reconstruct my nose. It was all simply too much for me to bear. In time, I healed from all the surgeries, but the depression never went away. In fact, it only got worse. And my financial troubles had grown to the point I knew it wouldn't be long before I was kicked out of my home. And that thought alone was enough to send me deep into a dark place of hopelessness that I had never experienced before. And then I began to think to myself, Stephen, you've lived more than people could in 10 lifetimes. You've traveled the world, made millions of people laugh and smile in your magic show. And you lived with real lions and tigers, swam with them in your pool as a kid, raised them from cubs, and lived a life that most could only dream of. You've done it all. So what's left? The truth was, I just felt like the time had come to check out. You see, I didn't want to live anymore, or so I thought in that moment. I had reached a point in my existence where I could no longer see the point of existing. I was in too much emotional and physical pain. The treatments that I was enduring made me violently sick, and I was broke beyond repair swimming in medical debt that was climbing every single day. I could no longer perform due to the way that I looked and suddenly found myself at what I believed was the end of my rope. And then, one deep dark night, while in the very pits of hell, suffering from so much despair and darkness, I felt the bottom of my very soul, and it spoke to me. <laughs> I just felt like the end had finally arrived, and Stephen, it was time to go. I couldn't take it anymore. Life had become unbearable, and it had become too much for me to bear. The next thing that I knew I was awakened by a team of doctors standing over my bed and the first thing that I noticed was that my hands were restrained and tied to the sides of the bed. I couldn't move. I had missed my therapy appointment the following day and my therapist couldn't get a hold of me and so he called the police to do a welfare check at my apartment. I was found laying in a pool of my own vomit and feces on the floor next to my bed. I had attempted to take my own life, and it almost worked. I woke up in the psych ward of a mental hospital here in Las Vegas, laying in five-point restraints. Now it's a very long story, but suffice it to say that my two sisters flew in from Virginia to Las Vegas and convinced a judge to release me into their care. We went back to my place and packed up a small U-Haul trailer that we could pull behind a rental car and they drove me back to Virginia with 
only the stuff that I could fit in my car and in that little trailer. I took one last look at my apartment as I began to shut the door and I locked it and left the key under the mat and simply walked away from everything that I owned. Furniture, clothing, equipment, everything. The next two years, I spent living with my family in Virginia, healing from the inside out. Somehow, and to this day I still don't know how, they showed me the love and the courage that I needed to stand on my own two feet. And I'm so thankful for my family. They loved me. Now, keep in mind, my relationship with my family is very different from most people in that I've spent the majority of my life touring around the world, so I never really lived with them. And this was the first time I had been off the road for any extended period of time, and so my family was getting to know me, really, for the very first time. It's hard to think that my sisters didn't really know their brother, but the truth was, they didn't. And while I was staying with them, I learned a few very valuable lessons. The first of which was, even this too shall pass. Even though I no longer wanted to live, I came to the understanding that I didn't really want to die. What I wanted was for the pain and the suffering to end. I wanted that to stop. That's what I was really searching for. But my brain interpreted those signals as wanting to end my life. And in reality, that wasn't the case. It's just how I felt in that moment in time. Because that too shall pass. And eventually it did. So what can you do if you ever find yourself at the end of your rope? Well, the first thing you do (laughs) is you tie a knot and hang on with dear life. Because I assure you that life is worth living and you can recover regardless of how bad your situation might be. Don't even think about it. So let's talk about what you can do to prevent yourself from ever experiencing what I did. Here are my top tips when you feel like you just can't go on. Now before we get there, the first thing that I want you to understand is that it will get better. And if you're having suicidal thoughts, please listen to me. Reach out and contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. There you'll find all the support and assistance from trained counselors that you need to begin the healing process. And if you or a loved one are in immediate danger right now, please pick up that phone and call 911. Don't even think, just do it. In the majority of cases, people who are feeling suicidal are dealing with conditions that will pass in time if only they get the help that they need. 
And in the meantime, there is so much that friends and family members can do to help people who are depressed or are contemplating ending their life like I did. The first thing I want to talk about is knowing the signs. Prevention first involves being able to recognize the warning signs of suicide, which can include things like extreme mood swings, feeling hopelessness, giving away possessions, losing interest in activities, talking about death or suicide, saying goodbye to family and friends, saying that they feel like they're a burden on other people, and even withdrawing from daily life, from friends and family. These are just a few of the warning signs, but trust me, if you spot any of these, it's a call for help. That person needs you. Suicide is a serious problem, and any suicidal threat or attempt should be taken very, very seriously. Get active and immediately get involved. You know, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there are more than 47,000 suicide attempts last year alone. That number, unfortunately, is growing year over year. Remember that I'm not a doctor and I'm not giving medical advice, but what I am doing is telling you what I have learned through my own personal experiences in hopes that you might learn something helpful in the process. So let's get right into it. Here are eight things that you can do to help someone if you or someone you love is struggling with thoughts of suicide. Number one, don't discount their feelings. While you might think that their problems aren't serious enough to warrant suicidal thoughts or behaviors, what really matters is how serious they perceive them to be. If it feels important to them, then in their own mind, suicide may seem like a valid option. It did to me. Listen to what they are saying without offering judgments. Don't be dismissive of their experience or their emotions or how they feel. Most importantly, never dismiss suicidal talk or threats. If a person is making comments that seem to indicate that they're depressed or are thinking of taking their own life, you should always take them very, very seriously. Get involved immediately. Number two, look at suicide as a cry for help. When a person attempts suicide, this isn't necessarily a sign that they want to die. That was the case with me. Instead, it's an indicator that they are in great emotional pain, but don't know how to deal with it, just like I didn't. Suicide has started to look like their only option to escape a situation that they don't know how to handle. They're missing those key coping skills, all the kind of skills that I teach you in LifeSkillsMasterclass.com. If they're still alive, 
However, they're desperately seeking an alternative to death and attempting suicide may be their way of reaching out and saying, I need help. Number three, be a diligent and good listener. This is so important. Being able to talk with a caring friend and unburden yourself from your troubles can go a long way in relieving the unbearable buildup of pressure that can lead to a suicide attempt. So be a good listener and remember that it doesn't require any special skills. Just be patient and accepting but avoid getting into any kind of an argument or trying to offer simplistic solutions. That's not going to help. Avoid any have you tried XYZ type comments that focus on quick fixes. Such attempts might come off as insensitive or seem to trivialize what a person is experiencing. Simply be there and show them that you care. What they really need is some love. Number four, encourage them to get help. Even though some suicides may seem to come out of the blue, it's quite likely that the person had been depressed for a very long time, which was the case with me. Getting prompt professional assistance at the very first signs of depression is a very important step in preventing suicide. Working to take away the stigma around depression and encouraging people who are hurt to get the help that they need right away can go a long way in saving someone's life because the problem is dealt with before it gets to that point. Number five, ask directly about their suicidal feelings. While you might be afraid to bring up the topic of suicide for fear of giving them ideas, the fact is that those thoughts and feelings are there regardless of what you might say. What you're really doing by bringing up the topic is giving them an opportunity to open up to you and allow you to help them. Number six, do not leave them alone. Let me say that again. Do not leave them alone. If they seem to be in immediate danger of hurting themselves, do not leave them alone. Take steps to get them away from any means that they could use to hurt themselves, such as a weapon or in my case, pills. Call 911 or other emergency number for assistance if need be and, and, and offer to transport them to the hospital yourself. Get help, but don't walk away. Do not leave them alone. Number seven, encourage them to see a professional counselor. It may take some patience and persistence, but urge them to make an appointment with a mental health professional because once they have made that appointment, make sure that they continue to maintain contact in order to encourage them to follow through with the appointment and the treatment plans. Number eight, know that secrets can kill. Now this is so important and it's often overlooked. 
If the person asks you not to tell anyone, be aware that you may have to break your promise in order to help them. Having your friend or loved one alive but angry at you is so much more preferable than keeping a promise that leads them to taking their own life. Secrets kill. Trust me on this. Remember, if you're having suicidal thoughts, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. There, you'll find the support and assistance from a trained counselor that literally can be the difference between life and death. Or if you find yourself or a loved one in immediate danger, pick up that phone and call 911 right now. All of the skills that saved my life, I teach in my online course at lifeskillsmasterclass.com. I hope that you will seriously check it out because it's helped many thousands change their lives from all over the world. And you know what? I know it can help you too. I'm Stephen Diamond. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your day with me. And I hope that you've learned something that can help save your life or help save the life of someone that you love. That's the point of this podcast. That's what it's all about. Thank you so much for listening to What the Tigers Taught Me. I hope you'll tell your friends about this podcast and smash that subscribe button and follow us on this journey because it's going to be a wild ride, I promise. Hey, listen, thanks again for listening. And take care of yourself and each other, and I will see you next week.